Chapter fifty three of Far from the Madding Crowd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. Far from the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy. Chapter fifty three. Concurrator Hore Momento. Outside the front of Boldwood's house, a group of men stood in the dark, with their faces towards the door, which occasionally opened and closed for the passage of some guest or servant, when a golden rod of light would stripe the ground for the moment and vanish again, leaving nothing outside but the glow-worm shine of the pale lamp amid the evergreens over the door. "'He was seen in Casterbridge this afternoon,' so the boy said, one of them remarked in a whisper, "'and I for one believe it.' His body was never found, you know. "'Tis a strange story,' said the next. "'You may depend upon it that she knows nothing about it.' "'Not a word.' "'Perhaps he don't mean that she shall,' said another man. "'If he's alive and here in the neighbourhood he means mischief,' said the first. "'Poor young thing. I do pity her if it's true. He'll drag her to the dogs.' "'Oh, no, he'll settle down quite enough.' said one disposed to take a more hopeful view of the case. "'What a fool she must have been ever to have anything to do with that man. She's so self-willed and independent, too, that one is more minded to say it serves her right than pity her.' "'No, no, I don't hold with ye there. She was no otherwise than a girl, mind. And how could she tell what the man was made of? If tis really true, tis too hard a punishment, and more than she ought to have. Hello, who's that?' This was to some footsteps that were heard approaching. "'William Smallbury,' said a dim figure in the shades, coming up and joining them. "'Dark as a hedge to-night, isn't it? I all but missed a plank over the river at heart, there in the bottom. Never did such a thing before in my life. Be ye any of Boldwood's work-folk?' He peered into their faces. "'Yes, all of us. We met here a few minutes ago.' "'Ah, oh, I hear now. That's Sam Samway.' I thought I know the voice, too. Going in? Presently. But I say, William, Samway whispered, have you heard this strange tale? What, about Sergeant Troy being seen, do you mean, souls? said Smallbury, also lowering his voice. Aye, in Casterbridge. Yes, I have. Laban Tall named a hint of it to me but now. But I didn't think it. Hark, here Laban comes himself, I believe. A footstep drew near. "'Laban?' "'Yes, tis I,' said Tall. "'Have you heard any more about that?' "'No,' said Tall, joining the group. "'And I'm inclined to think we better keep quiet. "'If so be tis not true, twill flurry her, "'and do her much harm to repeat it. "'And if so be tis true, "'twill do no good to forestall her time of trouble. "'God send that it may be a lie, "'for though Henry Frey and some of them do speak against her, "'she's never been anything but fair to me. "'She's hot and hasty, but she's a brave girl, "'who'll never tell a lie however much the truth may harm her, "'and I've no cause to wish her evil. "'She never do tell women's little lies, that's true, "'and tis a thing that can be said of very few. "'Aye, all the harm she thinks she says to your face, "'there's nothing on the hand with her.' "'They stood silent then.' every man busied with his own thoughts, during which interval sounds of merriment could be heard within. Then the front door again opened, the rays streamed out, the well-known form of Boldwood was seen in the rectangular area of light, the door closed, and Boldwood walked slowly down the path. 
"'Tis master,' one of the men whispered as he neared them. "'We'd better stand quiet. He'll go in again directly. He would think it unseemly of us to be loitering here.' Boldwood came on, and passed by the men without seeing them, they being under the bushes on the grass. He paused, leant over the gate, and breathed a long breath. They heard low words come from him. "'I hope to God she'll come, or this night will be nothing but a misery to me. Oh, my darling, my darling, why do you keep me in suspense like this?' He said this to himself, and they all distinctly heard it. Boldwood remained silent after that, and the noise from indoors was again just audible, until, a few minutes later, light wheels could be distinguished coming down the hill. They drew nearer and ceased at the gate. Boldwood hastened back to the door and opened it, and the light shone upon Bathsheba coming up the path. Boldwood compressed his emotion to mere welcome. The men marked her light laugh and apology as she met him. He took her into the house, and the door closed again. "'Gracious heaven! I didn't know it was like that with him,' said one of the men. "'I thought that fancy of his was over long ago.' "'You don't know much of Master, if you thought that,' said Samway. "'I wouldn't he should know he heard what I said for the world,' remarked a third. "'I wish we had told of the report at once,' the first uneasily continued. "'More harm may come of this than we know of. Poor Mr. Boldwood, it would be hard upon him. I wish Troy was in—' "'Well, God forgive me for such a wish. "'A scoundrel to play a poor wife such tricks. "'Nothing has prospered in Weatherbury since he came here, "'and now I've no heart to go in. "'Let's look into Warren's for a few minutes first, shall us, neighbours?' Samway, Tall and Smallbury agreed to go to Warren's, and went out at the gate, the remaining ones entering the house. The three soon drew near the malt-house, approaching it from the adjoining orchard and not by way of the street. The pane of glass was illuminated as usual. Smallbury was a little in advance of the rest, when, pausing, he turned suddenly to his companions and said, "'Hist! See there!' The light from the pane was now perceived to be shining not upon the ivied wall as usual, but upon some object close to the glass. It was a human face. "'Let's come closer,' whispered Samway, and they approached on tiptoe. There was no disbelieving the report any longer. Troy's face was almost close to the pane, and he was looking in. Not only was he looking in, but he appeared to have been arrested by a conversation which was in progress in the malt-house, the voices of the interlocutors being those of Oak and the maltster. "'The spree is all in her honour, isn't it, hey? said the old man. "'Although he made believe tis only keeping up a Christmas.' "'I cannot say,' replied Oak. "'Oh, tis true enough, Faith.' I cannot understand Farmer Boldwood being such a fool at his time of life as to hoe and hanker after this woman in the way you do, and she not care a bit about him. The men, after recognising Troy's features, withdrew across the orchard as quietly as they had come. The air was big with Bathsheba's fortunes to-night. Every word everywhere concerned her. When they were quite out of earshot, all, by one instinct, paused. It gave me quite a turn. "'His face,' said Tall, breathing. "'And so it did me,' said Samway. "'What's to be done?' "'I don't see that tis any business of ours,' Smallbury murmured dubiously. "'But it is. "'Tis a thing which is everybody's business,' said Samway. "'We know very well that Master's on the wrong track, "'and that she's quite in the dark, 
and we should let him know at once. Laban, you know her best. You'd better go and ask to speak to her. I bain't fit for any such thing, said Laban nervously. I should think William ought to do it of anybody. He's oldest. I shall have nothing to do with it, said Smallbury. "'Tis a ticklish business altogether. "'Why, he'll go on to her himself in a few minutes, you'll see. "'We don't know that he will. Come, Laban.' "'Very well. If I must, I must, I suppose,' Tall reluctantly answered. "'What must I say?' "'Just ask to see Master.' "'Oh, no, I shan't speak to Mr. Boldwood. "'If I tell anybody, twill be mistress.' "'Very well,' said Samway. "'Laban then went to the door.' When he opened it, the hum of bustle rolled out as a wave upon a still strand, the assemblage being immediately inside the hall, and was deadened to a murmur as he closed it again. Each man waited intently, and looked around at the dark tree-tops gently rocking against the sky, and occasionally shivering in a slight wind, as if he took interest in the scene, which neither did. One of them began walking up and down, and then came to where he started from and stopped again, with the sense that walking was a thing not worth doing now. "'I should think Laban must have seen mistress by this time,' said Smallbury, breaking the silence. "'Perhaps you won't come and speak to him.' The door opened, Tall appeared, and joined them. "'Well,' said both. "'I didn't like to ask her after all,' Laban faltered out. They were all in such a stir, trying to put a little spirit into the party. Somehow the fun seems to hang fire, though everything's there that a heart can desire, and I couldn't for my soul interfere and throw damp upon it. If twas to save my life, I couldn't. "'I suppose we had better all go in together,' said Samway gloomily. "'Perhaps I may have a chance of saying a word to Master.' So the men entered the hall, which was the room selected and arranged for the gathering because of its size. The younger men and maids were at last just beginning to dance. Bathsheba had been perplexed how to act, for she was not much more than a slim young maid herself, and the weight of stateliness sat heavy upon her. Sometimes she thought she ought not to have come under any circumstances. Then she considered what cold unkindness that would have been, and finally resolved upon the middle course of staying for about an hour only, and gliding off unobserved, having from the first made up her mind that she could on no account dance, sing, or take any active part in the proceedings. Her allotted hour having been passed in chatting and looking on, Bathsheba told Liddy not to hurry herself, and went on to the small parlour to prepare for departure, which, like the hall, was decorated with holly and ivy, and well lighted up. Nobody was in the room, but she had hardly been there a moment when the master of the house entered. "'Mrs. Troy, you are not going,' he said. "'We've hardly begun.' "'If you'll excuse me, I should like to go now.' Her manner was restive, for she remembered her promise and imagined what he was about to say. "'But as it is not late,' she added, "'I can walk home and leave my man and Liddy to come when they choose.' "'I've been trying to get an opportunity of speaking to you,' said Boldwood. "'You know, perhaps, what I long to say.' Bathsheba silently looked on the floor. "'You do give it,' he said eagerly. "'What?' she whispered. "'Now that's evasion. Why, the promise. I don't want to intrude upon you at all, or to let it become known to anybody. But do give your word. A mere business compact, you know, between two people who are beyond the influence of passion.' Boldwood knew how false this picture was as regarded himself, 
but he had proved that it was the only tone in which she would allow him to approach her. A promise to marry me at the end of five years and three quarters. You owe it to me. I feel that I do, said Bathsheba, that is, if you demand it. But I am a changed woman, an unhappy woman, and not, not— You are still a very beautiful woman, said Boldwood. Honesty and pure conviction suggested the remark, unaccompanied by any perception that it might have been adopted by blunt flattery to soothe and win her. However, it had not much effect now, for she said in a passionless murmur, which was in itself a proof of her words, I have no feeling in the matter at all, and I don't at all know what is right to do in my difficult position, and I have nobody to advise me, but I give my promise, if I must. I give it as the rendering of a debt, conditionally, of course, on my being a widow. You'll marry me between five and six years hence? Don't press me too hard. I'll marry nobody else. But surely you will name the time, or there's nothing in the promise at all. Oh, I don't know. Pray let me go, she said, her bosom beginning to rise. And I am afraid what to do. I want to be just to you, and to be that seems to be wronging myself, and perhaps it is breaking the commandments. There is considerable doubt of his death, and then it is dreadful. Let me ask a solicitor, Mr. Boldwood, if I ought or no. Say the words, dear one, and the subject shall be dismissed. A blissful, loving intimacy of six years, and then marriage. O oh, Bathsheba, say them, he begged in a husky voice, unable to sustain the forms of mere friendship any longer. Promise yourself to me. I deserve it. Indeed I do, for I have loved you more than anybody in the world. And if I said hasty words and showed uncalled for heat of manner towards you, believe me, dear, I did not mean to distress you. I was in agony, Bathsheba, and I did not know what I said. You wouldn't let a dog suffer what I have suffered, could you but know it. Sometimes I shrink from your knowing what I have felt for you, and sometimes I am distressed that all of it you never will know. Be gracious, and give up a little to me, when I would give up my life for you. The trimmings of her dress as they quivered against the light showed how agitated she was, and at last she burst out crying. And you'll not press me about anything more? If I say in five or six years? She sobbed when she had the power to frame the words. Yes, then I leave it to time. She waited a moment. Very well. I'll marry you in six years from this day, if we both live, she said solemnly. And you'll take this as a token from me. Boldwood had come close to her side, and now he clasped one of her hands in both of his, and lifted it to his breast. "'What is it? Oh, I cannot wear a ring!' she exclaimed on seeing what he held. "'Besides, I wouldn't have a soul know that it's an engagement, and perhaps it is improper. Besides, we are not engaged in the usual sense, are we? Don't insist, Mr. Boldwood, don't!' In her trouble at not being able to get her hand away from him at once, she stamped passionately on the floor with one foot, and tears crowded to her eyes again. "'It means a simple pledge, no sentiment, the seal of a practical compact,' he said more quietly, but still retaining her hand in his firm grasp. "'Come now,' and Boldwood slipped the ring on her finger. "'I cannot wear it,' she said, weeping as if her heart would break. "'You frighten me almost. So wild a scheme. Please let me go home.' Only to-night, wear it just to-night, to please me. Bathsheba sat down in a chair, 
and buried her face in a handkerchief, though Boldwood kept her hand yet. At length she said, in a sort of hopeless whisper, "'Very well, then. I will to-night, if you wish it so earnestly. Now loosen my hand. I will, indeed, I will wear it to-night.' "'And it shall be the beginning of a pleasant secret courtship of six years, with a wedding at the end?' "'It must be, I suppose, since you will have it so,' she said, fairly beaten into non-resistance. Boldwood pressed her hand, and allowed it to drop in her lap. "'I am happy now,' he said. "'God bless you.' He left the room, and when he thought she might be sufficiently composed, sent one of the maids to her. Bathsheba cloaked the effects of the late scene as she best could, followed the girl, and in a few moments came downstairs with her hat and cloak on, ready to go. To get to the door it was necessary to pass through the hall, and before doing so she paused on the bottom of the staircase, which descended into one corner, to take a last look at the gathering. There was no music or dancing in progress just now. At the lower end, which had been arranged for the work-folk specially, a group conversed in whispers and with clouded looks. Baldwood was standing by the fireplace, and he, too, though so absorbed in visions arising from her promise that he scarcely saw anything, seemed at that moment to observe their peculiar manner, and their looks askance. "'What is it you are in doubt about, men?' he said. One of them turned and replied uneasily. "'It was something Laban heard of, that's all, sir.' "'News? Anybody married or engaged? Born or dead?' inquired the farmer gaily. "'Tell it to us, Tall. One would think from your looks and mysterious ways that it was something very dreadful indeed.' "'Oh, no, sir, nobody is dead,' said Tall. "'I wish somebody was,' said Samway, in a whisper. "'What do you say, Samway?' asked Boldwood somewhat sharply. "'If you have anything to say, speak out. If not, get up another dance.' "'Mrs. Troy has come downstairs,' said Samway to Tall. "'If you want to tell her, you had better do it now.' "'Do you know what they mean?' the farmer asked Bathsheba across the room. "'I don't in the least,' said Bathsheba. There was a smart rapping at the door. One of the men opened it instantly and went outside. "'Mrs. Troy is wanted,' he said on returning. "'Quite ready,' said Bathsheba, "'though I didn't tell them to send.' "'Is a stranger, ma'am,' said the man by the door. "'A stranger?' she said. "'Ask him to come in,' said Boldwood. The message was given and Troy, wrapped up to his eyes as we have seen him, stood in the doorway. There was an unearthly silence, all looking towards the newcomer. Those who had just learnt that he was in the neighbourhood recognised him instantly. Those who did not were perplexed. Nobody noted Bathsheba. She was leaning on the stairs. Her brow had heavily contracted. Her whole face was pallid, her lips apart, her eyes rigidly staring at their visitor. Boldwood was one of those who did not notice that he was Troy. "'Come in, come in,' he repeated cheerfully, "'and drain a Christmas beaker with us, stranger.' Troy next advanced into the middle of the room, took off his cap, turned down his collar, and looked Boldwood in the face. Even then Boldwood did not recognise that the impersonator of heaven's persistent irony towards him, who had once before broken in upon his bliss, scourged him, and snatched his delight away, had come to do these things a second time. Troy began to laugh a mechanical laugh. 
Boldwood recognized him now. Troy turned to Bathsheba. The poor girl's wretchedness at this time was beyond all fancy or narration. She had sunk down on the lowest stair, and there she sat, her mouth blue and dry, and her dark eyes fixed vacantly upon him, as if she wondered whether it were not all a terrible illusion. Then Troy spoke. Bathsheba, I have come for you. She made no reply. Come home with me. Come. Bathsheba moved her feet a little, but did not rise. Troy went across to her. "'Come, madam, do you hear what I say?' he said peremptorily. A strange voice came from the fireplace, a voice sounding far off and confined, as if from a dungeon. Hardly a soul in the assembly recognized the thin tones to be those of Boldwood. Sudden despair had transformed him. "'Bathsheba, go with your husband.' Nevertheless, she did not move. The truth was that Bathsheba was beyond the pale of activity, and yet not in a swoon. She was in a state of mental guta serena. Her mind was for the minute totally deprived of light. At the same time, no obscuration was apparent from without. Troy stretched out his hand to pull her towards him, when she quickly shrank back. This visible dread of him seemed to irritate Troy, and he seized her by the arm and pulled it sharply. Whether his grasp pinched her, or whether his mere touch was the cause, was never known, but at the moment of his seizure she writhed, and gave a quick, low scream. The scream had been heard but a few seconds, when it was followed by a sudden deafening report that echoed through the room and stupefied them all. The oak partition shook with a concussion, and the place was filled with grey smoke. In bewilderment, they turned their eyes to Boldwood. At his back, as he stood before the fireplace, was a gun-rack, as is usual in farmhouses, constructed to hold two guns. When Bathsheba had cried out in her husband's grasp, Boldwood's face of gnashing despair had changed, the veins had swollen, and a frenzied look had gleamed in his eye. He had turned quickly taken one of the guns, cocked it, and at once discharged it at Troy. Troy fell. The distance apart of the two men was so small that the charge of shot did not spread in the least, but passed like a bullet into his body. He uttered a long, guttural sigh. There was a contraction, an extension. Then his muscles relaxed and he lay still. Boldwood was seen through the smoke to be now again engaged with the gun. It was double-barrelled, and he had, meanwhile, in some way fastened his handkerchief to the trigger, and with his foot on the other end was in the act of turning the second barrel upon himself. Samway, his man, was the first to see this, and in the midst of the general horror darted up to him. Boldwood had already twitched the handkerchief, and the gun exploded a second time sending its contents, by a timely blow from Samway, into the beam which crossed the ceiling. "'Well, it makes no difference,' Boldwood gasped. "'There is another way for me to die.' Then he broke from Samway, crossed the room to Bathsheba, and kissed her hand. He put on his hat, opened the door, and went into the darkness, nobody thinking of preventing him. End of chapter 53